The preachers are weary, the singers are tired. The church as we know it is losing its fire. Some are discouraged from bearing the load, but we must determine to keep pressing on. Cause if just one more soul were to walk down the aisle, it would be worth every struggle, it would be worth every mile. A lifetime of labor is still worth it all, and it rescues just one more soul. So preachers keep preaching, and singers go sing. Laymen keep sharing that Jesus is King. The angels have gathered, they're surrounding the throne. And they'll start rejoicing for just one more soul. Cause if just one more soul were to walk down the aisle, it would be worth every struggle, it would be worth every mile. A lifetime of labor is still worth it all, if it rescues just one more soul. Cause if just one more soul were to walk down the aisle, it would be worth every struggle, it would be worth every mile. A lifetime of labor is still worth it all, if it rescues just one more soul. A lifetime of labor is still worth it all, if it rescues just one more soul. Well, amen. That's what we do. What we do for, amen, is for souls and to teach and to train and to ultimately help people find their purpose for existing in life. The bottom line is, is that we all have a purpose and that's to bring glory and honor to Christ. It's to please Him, amen. And so we're certainly glad we have the privilege and opportunity to do that. Well, if you're wondering why I took my glasses off, it's not just because I'm vain. It's because I can't read with them on. I can only see you, and I'd rather see this than you. Sorry, I've got to be honest with you. Looking a little earlier, I was getting a little nervous. I, no, I'm teasing. I wasn't, not that bad. It wasn't that bad. I, uh, I, this really isn't that great, but, you know, um, a fellow, he walks into a Starbucks and some of the singles know what's coming, don't they? <laughs> I tell jokes in the singles class all the time. But anyway, a man walks into a Starbucks, he orders a drink, and uh, he notices that there's pieces of meat hanging from the ceiling. Pieces of meat. He just doesn't get it. He doesn't understand it. So he asked the barista, did I say that right, team singles? Okay, see, I had it all mixed up this morning. So he asked the barista, he says, hey, what are those, those pieces of meat hanging from the ceiling for? And the barista says, well, if you can jump up and pull one of them down, then you get free latte mochas all night. Well, that's a pretty good deal. But he goes on and he says, but if you fail to, to do so, then you've got to pay us 100 bucks. So do you, you want to have a go? The man thinks about it a while and he kind of scratches his chin a little bit and he says, nah, the stakes are just too high. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, see, I told you it wasn't that great. But anyway, <laughs> I've uh, decided um, uh, this week, just actually, uh, just a day or two ago, um, well, yesterday actually, but I decided to um, forego our study. I'm going to finish our study tonight. The, I have one last message or lesson in our, uh, um, my, add to your face study, okay? <laughs> All right, I got one more there. I, I'll tell you what, I've had a lot on my mind this morning and uh, a lot going on. I'm, I'm taking care of dogs this week for somebody and uh, 
Yeah, trust me. They, yeah, but but uh, so I'm, I'm, I got that on my mind. I can't forget to let the dogs out. I can't forget to put food in the thing. They got three dogs and two German shepherds. One got wolf in them. And uh, trust me, I've been for a day and a half. I had a crash course and had to make sure that dog wasn't going to bite me. And so every time I go in now, I go in with these real thick, heavy gloves on. You think I'm joking? <laughs> I go in and I got my coat on that goes down to here. And I'm just like, all right, guys, okay, go back up, back up. You know, and I start yelling, outside, outside, outside. <laughs> and they all run around and go crazy. And then I get them to go out the door. And then I, yeah, so anyway. And then I give them treats. And he, he showed me how I got to give them treats. You know, you got to get the treat, you know. And, and, and the treats meet. Well, my hands meet. Okay, and this, it really kind of bothers me. So I have to pull out this meat out of this, this bag. And there's three dogs, right? And there's two, two one's a 100-pound German Shepherd. The other one's like about, you know, 70-pounder, 75 with the wolf in it. And then the other one's a real, real old, like, um, Lab, lab or something that's like about, you know, 350 pounds now and, and can hardly get around because she's, you know. And so I got all this meat in my hand, and so I'm supposed to hand it to him, and I'm supposed to let him take it out of my hand. You know what I mean? And this, this, the neighbor wouldn't even go to the hospital the one day, and he had to go to the hospital, but he signed himself out because he was afraid to let me with the dogs until I, you know, it was bad. So anyway, I'm over here doing and they, you know how they scratch your hand when they bite your, they go to get that meat and they bite your hand kind of like with it? So if I forget something along the way, let me tell you something. I've been traumatized this last day or so, and uh, so I'm trying to catch up to speed here. So just get, be patient with me, if you would, please. But so far, so good. The dogs seem to be going all right. We'll see what happens. Okay, um, so I've decided to start a new study uh, on this for the promotion, basically, because I thought, you know what, we'll, hopefully we'll have some guests. And, you know, it's important that folks know where we stand on a few issues, and I think it's important that we, we understand where God stands on some issues. And so I decided to preach a series that I'm going to entitle Discoveries That Revolutionize Our Lives. Discoveries That Revolutionize Our Lives. And it's just going to be four weeks. That's all it is. It's short. And they're not going to be the same. It's not going to kind of build. It's going to be independent. Like, for instance, today we're going to talk about creation, the work of God. And then next week we're going to talk about the Bible, the Word of God. And then the next week, the Savior, the way to God. And then finally, salvation, the will of God. So we're going to talk about those four things through the next four weeks. And so today, I want to kick it off by talking about creation, the work of God. Now, this is a great topic, okay? And, and uh, um, I was going to have the gentleman come up at the end of the service and tell you a little bit more about it, but I can tell, or it appears that he's, he's working in the junior church, helping teach our, some of our youngsters. And uh, so he's not going to be able to, to do this, but we have a study on Wednesday night that we're picking back up. Uh, Mark Dombrowski, one of our, our young men here, is a graduate with a, a geology degree, and uh, it's actually a little longer than that. Is he still here? Yeah. See, I can't see with these off, you know, so I told you. Oh, he's hiding back here. He's sleeping. Okay, wake him up. Thank you. Okay, so anyway, he's, maybe he'll come and tell you a little bit about the end of the service. You remind me to do that, would you please, Brother Mark? And uh, he, he has this uh, geophysics degree. And he really does know a lot about this thing. He's made it a point to, he's read a number of books. He's studied significantly and in depth. And, and again, there's more to learn always. He understands that. But let me tell you something. The first four weeks that he did this series were very informative, very helpful. And then he's got four more weeks he's going to share with us starting this Wednesday for four solid Wednesdays. And he's going to be taking us through some issues when it comes to creation versus evolution. It'd be very helpful. What I'm going to talk about today is certainly not going to step on his toes at all. He's way above me in that area. But uh, nonetheless, we're going to go ahead and just try to understand a little bit about creation and understand this, that it is the work of God. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer, and then we'll just kind of kick things off today. Father, thank you for these that have gathered today. Lord, we are a very uh, needy people, but we're blessed people. Lord, you've been so good to us. And Lord, I know in my own life, Lord, you've been good. I, I feel so unworthy, Lord, uh, to stand before this crowd today and to proclaim the word of God. And I, I, but I thank you for the privilege. And Lord, I pray that um, you'd help me, fill me with your spirit. Lord, I really don't have anything to share that will make a significant impact in their lives. Father, only you alone can make that significant impact. Oh, I have some information, but Lord, you're the one that can drive home the truths. And Holy Spirit of God, may you take what you've put on my heart and what you've given to me through your word and help me to just transmit it in a way that will be understandable and accessible and practical. Lord, may you be glorified in what will be accomplished today. And Lord, there were nine people that came to Christ this week out and about through the doors and there's folks knocking doors, talking to people about Christ, your son. But Lord, today we... 
know that there might be some in this room that don't know for sure heaven's their home. God, may you help them to settle that if they don't have it settled. Lord, for the believer today, may we be stronger and more convinced than ever that, Father, you're on the throne and that, Father, uh, we need to hold the banner high and not give in to secular humanism and, Father, just the many lies that are being peddled today throughout our culture and our society. Father, help us, Lord, to stand for you. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. All right, first of all, it seems today that young people are leaving the church in groves. You know, uh, if there's uh, one characteristic of most churches uh, in America, it's that the majority of people in them are older. Um, it seems that young people are, being, are somewhat disenfranchised with church. They're losing their zeal, their, their desire for the things of God. And um, I think there are reasons for that. Do you know that statistically, um, and again, I'm not trying to be critical of any uh, families. I'm not trying to be critical of anybody, so don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm just giving you the statistics that I receive. But statistically, uh, statistics reveal that 90 to 95% of students from church homes go to public schools. Okay, that's just a statistic. Now, out of those same 90 to 95% of those, those students that go, 70 to 80% of those students from church homes who go to public schools will walk away from the church. That's the statistics. Now, that, that's not something I made up. That's something that, that has been shared, and it's something that is, is been really uh, is pretty, pretty much uh, confirmed. Anybody that's in a church at all knows how quickly our young people are leaving the ranks. Um, we're very blessed here. We, we have a good core of young people, and we're very thankful for that. And we have a great core of families, and that's obviously a testament to that, you know, because young people don't remain in church unless they have a good, good support team. And so we're very glad for that, and we're very thankful. But statistically, overall, across America, we're losing 70 to 80% of our young people in our churches. Well, that's alarming to me. And so I got to think, what is that? Why is that? One of the reasons I believe that is, is, is that, and again, there's a number of reasons, I'm sure. But one of the main reasons I believe is that we are being bombarded or that, that our young people are being bombarded, as well as adults, with science that seems to attack and discredit God. It, it, it seeks to and endeavors to attack and discredit the Bible and creation itself. Science has supposedly disproved the Bible. Now, again, if, if you would listen to educators, if you would allow yourself to even uh, really believe what the media teaches and says, then you're being sold that same bill of goods, and so am I. I mean, so-called science or biblical critics can discredit. They can even destroy the authority and believability of the Bible. But if they do that, and if they've done that in our lives or in our young people's lives or, uh, or anyone's life, then they can effectively dismiss creation as a myth. And they can then, in essence, remove God from the cultural terrain. And it seems that that's what's going on here. Sadly enough, again, it's not just our young people but it's our adults that are being negatively affected by so-called science, the media, and even educators. Man, adults are being deceived today. They're being lied to, and they're receiving the lies as well. So we look at our young people, and we ask ourselves, why are they leaving in groves? Well, they have a lot of questions about the Bible. I mean, they're asking these questions. I mean, where did, where did Adam's wife come from? And, and, you know, how did Noah fit all the animals on the ark? And there's all these things that they ask questions. And sometimes if we're not careful, we dismiss them and we say, those aren't issues, those aren't big deals. Just worry about the basics, the fundamentals. But those are big deals. But all of those things are, are directly tied and linked to creation itself and can be answered if we believe the Word of God and if we believe what God teaches about earth and the universe. So first of all, we realize that God created all things, though. And again, some says, well, what does your church believe? Well, we believe what the Bible says, that God created all things. Over in the book of Genesis, let's do a little Bible study. Let's go to Genesis 1.1, and then we're going to run through some verses real quick and just allow the Word of God to speak to us and to confirm in our hearts the truth. Someone says, well, do you believe the Bible is the Word of God? Absolutely, but we'll get to that in another week. Actually, next week. God created all things. Genesis 1.1, we read, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That's pretty good. 
That's pretty plain. It's pretty simple. Look, if you will, Jeremiah 32, 17. And if you can't find it, just pretend you did. And nobody will know the difference. Except you and God. And you know what? God doesn't care, probably. As long as you're listening well. I mean, he'd like you to turn to it if you're able, but if you're struggling, that's okay. He understands. You can figure it out this week and kind of start learning the books of the Bible this week a little bit better. But notice Jeremiah thirty-two seventeen. Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. Isn't that great? Man, I mean, that's a pretty plain verse, isn't it? Now, I don't know if you've ever read that verse or not. I've read it probably, but I've kind of went right over top of it. But boy, you start talking about a verse that confirms and really solidifies the Creator as God and, and that the universe and the world were created by God? Well, that's a pretty good one. Behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm. There's nothing too hard for thee. Let me read a few other verses real quickly while you're turning. Why don't you turn to um, Psalm chapter 90, verse 2. But in Psalm chapter 121, verse 1 and 2, as you're turning to Psalm 90, It says, I will lift up mine eyes into the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. Isaiah 40, verse 28 says, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There's no searching of his understanding. I mean, isn't that amazing? The creator of the ends of the earth. And then in Psalm chapter 90, verse 2, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Genesis 2, 3, And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. Which God created and made. See, God simply spoke, and the universe came into existence. That's what the Bible teaches. Listen, he didn't need a hammer and he didn't need a saw. He simply spoke and the Bible says that the word, the world and the universe came into existence. Take your Bible, look over at Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Notice in Genesis chapter 1, in these certain verses here we're going to look at, it's interesting that the Bible says, God said... Notice what it says in verse 3. Chapter 1, verse 3. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God spoke it. See, he simply spoke. Notice also in verse 6. In verse 6 again, it says, and God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. He said, and it was. Notice verse 9. And God said. Notice verse 14, excuse me, 11. 11, and God said. Notice verse 14, and God said. Verse 20, and God said. Verse 24, and God said. Verse 26, and God said. In each case, God spoke, and in each case, it happened. God simply spoke the universe into existence and simply spoke the earth and the world as we know it today into existence God said, and then God saw. Notice verse 31. The Bible says in chapter 1, verse 31, And God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. Isn't that something? So He said, and then He saw. There was no building, there was no no billions of years, millions of years, And the evening and the morning were the first day. And the evening and the morning were the second. The evening and the morning the third. God put Himself on a timetable. There were 24-hour days. Literal six days to create. And on the seventh, the Bible says He rested. It's interesting that later on with Israel, He tells them to rest on the seventh day, even as He did. Six literal days of creation. Hey, listen, if you simply have to speak it and then you see it, you don't need billions of years. Billions of years. Someone says, well, I, I, don't get, I, I, I believe in theistic evolution. I believe God kicked it off and then time brought this all about. No, time didn't. God's Word did. Amen. At least that's what the Bible teaches. 
Someone says, I'm a Bible believer, but I don't believe in creation. Six little days. Well, then you don't believe what the Bible says. I'm not trying to be confrontational. I'm not trying to be angry or negative. I'm simply saying that what the Bible says is what we believe. At least what I believe, and I trust you do too. See, creation is not the figment of someone's imagination. It's not the desperate hope of the ignorant masses. It's not the perspective of misguided and mindless men and women. It is the work of God. I mean, the earth and mankind are not really the fruit of a big bang. They're not the process of evolution, nor are they the the product of natural selection. (laughs) They are the work of God. Not only do we see that God created all things, but it goes a little further than God simply being the creator of all life and substance. It goes a little further than that. Look, if you will, in Acts chapter 17, verse 28. Acts chapter 17, verse 28. Over here in the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul is sharing the Athenians, and he makes a statement in Acts chapter 17, verse 28. He says, for in him we live and move and have our being. As certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Notice again, for in him we live. Who? In who? God. We live and move and have our being. Now, the reality of this verse, and I bring it up for this reason. Again, it goes a little further than just simply being the creator, God being the creator. Yes, He's the creator of all life and substance. But notice again, in Him we live and move and have our being. See, every breath you and I take is a gift from God. Note that our life is a result of God Himself. See, remove God and we have no life. If there is no God, then there is no breath. There's no life. There's no movement. There's no being. Because it's in Him that we find those things. See, it's so important to understand this reality. And it's not that He simply created man in the universe, but He is life itself. And that's why Jesus could honestly say with all authority, over in the book of John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus saith unto Him, I am the way, the truth, and the what? Life. See, without God, there is no life. And someone says, well, that has to do with just salvation and that new life in Christ. Yeah, but I believe it goes back even further to the fact that no one, no one in this universe, nobody in this world has any life without God himself. He is life. He didn't just create life. He is life. If God ceased to exist today, you and I would have no breath. We'd have no life. We'd have no movement. We'd have no being. We'd be gone. Nothing. Creation is not the figment of someone's imagination. It's not the desperate hope of the ignorant masses. It's not the perspective of misguided and mindless men and women. It's the work of God. The earth and mankind are not really the fruit of a big bang. They're not the process of evolution, nor are they the product of natural selection. They are the work of God. But also, creation gets a little personal now. It seems so impersonal at times. Well, God created the universe. He created all beings. Okay, big deal. Big deal? It's a big deal because it involves you. Because it's about you in the long run. You're still part of that creation. Now, again, it's clear that God created, is the creator of all mankind. Look, if you will, in Genesis 1, 26. He didn't just create the animals. He didn't just create the trees and, and the flowers and the, the grass. He didn't just create the mountains and the valleys and the, the, the stars and the heavens. No, He created you and He created me. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. <clears throat> and God said, Let us make man in our image. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, there they are working as one. Let us make man in our own image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, 
and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Genesis 2, 7 says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. No, no, no breath, no life. We note that that revolves around the idea and, and encourages us to understand that, that man becomes a little bit different because he has that breath of life. That, that translates to eternal life. It's not just earthly life, but it's eternal life. Genesis 2.18, And the Lord God said, now it, is, it, it, now it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a help me for him. So we see that God creates the man out of the dust of the ground. He uh, breathes into the breath of life, which means that he now no longer just simply lives a life on earth and dies and is destined to extinction in that sense or, or annihilation or a, a lack of intuitiveness. But the fact is, is that he will live now, the Bible says, Forever. He has, he's a living being. And then he says, he made woman from man. Again, a creative act. A creative act. It's important to recognize that God created you. Personally. And you say, wait a second, I wasn't in the garden. He didn't create me. The way he created up, yeah, but his, but here's the thing. His hand was at work in your life before you were even ever born, though. Look, if you will now, over to the book of Psalm chapter 139. Well, I understand. I wasn't at the garden, so I can't say, well, he created me out of the dust of the ground. Yeah, but I'm of the same element and the same, the same minerals and so forth, the same makeup as Adam in that regard. And the fact is that God, he personally ensured that I would be born. He, he, he knew Mark O'Donnell, the one that stands before you today, would be the one that he put on earth. There's a personal element to this creation. It's not just something out there that's just quasi, you know, this or that. No, it's legitimate. It's real. It's it's. Me, that's involved in this process, and it's you. Personal. Psalm 139, verse 13 through 14. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. Who's the reason, or what's the reason for the, the, the uh, individuality and the uniqueness of this psalmist? God himself. He says right here, he says, marvelous are thy works. It's your handiwork, God, that created me, that made me, that formed me in the belly. You did that. And God put you on this earth. You aren't just some random act. I don't care if you came forth from a violent crime that was committed against your biological mother. You were here on purpose. You weren't a mistake. God created you. With a purpose. God placed you here. You were personally placed here by God. His creative act included you. It's very personal. See, creation's not, and I keep saying it because I want you to get that again, it's not the figment of someone's imagination. People will tell us that religion came up with this to appease their consciences and to appease their, their mind to somehow bring them comfort in the midst of a world of turmoil. No, it's not the desperate hope of the ignorant masses like they want to tell us. It's not the perspective of misguided and mindless men and women. I think there's some people in here that actually have a brain in their head. I think somebody in this room actually has some education. I think you can actually read and write. This isn't just about poor, ignorant people that don't know which end is up. It's not the process of Evolution, nor is it the product of natural selection. It is the work of God. So what's our responsibility then? What's our responsibility? Or how does this play out? Turn it to Isaiah chapter 45, verse 9, please. Isaiah 45, verse 9. Can I tell you why more people believe in some aspect of evolution than they do creation, it seems today? Oh, people will say they believe in creation, but then they'll also say they believe in evolution. It's crazy. Do you want to know why that is? 
Because they hear evolution taught more than they hear this taught. They, many people don't even know this exists anymore. There are young people growing up in homes today of believers that don't go to church anymore, that don't, don't read their Bibles and pray, that don't have anything to do with the house of God anymore, and their children are growing up just like every other heathen child in a, in a heathen family in the world without a knowledge of God. It's sad. The fact is, is there's not one child that has to be duped, deceived, or sidetracked by this element called evolution. They can grow up to believe that God is creator and Lord of all. But it's not going to happen by chance. It doesn't just happen because we say it once in a while. They've got to be taught. They've got to be encouraged. They've got to be trained. And they've got to be, it has to be inserted into their life and their being. We've got to make sense of this thing. Isaiah 45, 9 says, Woe unto him that striveth with his maker. His maker? It's talking about God then. Because we know God created the heaven and the earth. We know that God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. We know God brought forth Eve from Adam. We understand that he personally placed us here. Therefore, he's our maker too. Woe unto him, you or I, that striveth with his maker. Let the potsherd strive with the potsherd strive with the potsherds of the earth. Shall the clay say to him that fashioneth it, What makest thou? Or thy work? He hath no hands. No, he's saying basically, why would we strive? Why would we oppose? Why would we stand in opposition to our maker? Why would we at any point not acknowledge him for who and what he is and yield to him for who and what he is? He says, woe to him that strives with him. He said, would, I mean, years ago when I was in sixth grade, I made this beautiful vase and I put a dragonfly on it. That's stupid. I was in sixth grade. Give me a break. It was a masterpiece. At least to me it was. And when in our school we had a, a kiln and you could place those, those clay creations in a kiln and then they would get the fire real hot, and it would turn it into glass, so to speak. And so I remember mine got placed in there, and I took mine, and it was a, probably about that high, and it was kind of round like this. It was a little vase, and, and I, like I say, I had a, this, you know, this winged creature on it that I said was a, you know, I don't know what it looked like to anybody else, but that's what it was to me. And I remember taking hold of my mother. My mother was like, this is the best ever. I was like, I know, I made it just for you, Mom. Man, that was good. I mean, it could have been a blob just laying there, and she'd have went, oh, that's the most beautiful vase I've ever seen. And you know, to a mom, she's not lying. Now listen, that vase, when I was creating it, didn't look back at me and go, "Uh, I don't think that you need to, 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 to put you know, to, to make me that shape. And I don't think that you should, 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 should make me that color. And I don't think that you should... Uh, no. That's not how it works, right? I was the creator. And you know what he says? Why do we strive against our maker? What, what can we possibly... What can we hope to achieve or accomplish by striving? To oppose God would be simply futile. We, we have to believe that. Why would someone strive with their maker? And yet so many do, don't they? Brother, back there in the booth, pull up, would you? Drop the screen and pull up on uh, um, public works. Get in pastor and public works and f- find Bill Nye, the science guy. Go ahead. I think I'm going to show you this. I want you to see what Bill Nye has to say. Uh, Bill Nye, he, uh, he's one of the best-known hosts of the Disney PBS children's science show, Bill Nye the Science Guy. It ran between 1993 and 1998. That's been a number of years ago, I understand that. But the guy's still kind of out there. He's put a lot of propaganda into to, uh, uh, you know, evolution, and he's made some pretty bold statements. And I think it's important that parents understand exactly where we're going. Now, understand, this, this program that he was involved in ended in 98, but that doesn't mean his influence wasn't still there. Think about who we were allowing to influence our children when you hear what he says. And then secondly, consider how far we've come. And if it was that bad and that had that kind of attitude then, think about what it would mean, what it means today then and where we're at. Now, 
Um, he's going to get that going here in a few minutes, and I, I should have given them warning. I meant to tell them earlier, and I forgot, because, again, I was worried about my hands. <laughs> so they should get that. How, how long do you think it'll be, brother? Should I move on here? Two minutes? Okay, good. That's not bad. So anyway, he's the, he's the best-known host of that Disney PBS show. Now, he's had a lot of appearances also on some popular uh, media outlets, and um, he's considered a science guy. He's considered an educator in many cases. And um, we're going to listen to him for a minute. Listen, if you think that this doesn't affect your children, my children, our grandchildren, and even us, both subtly and right in our face at times, you're not in touch with reality here. I'm telling you, this is a big issue that we're facing. Because, see, we need to understand that this is a real problem. Now, they should be uh, working on it. Is it coming up? Because I put a link in there, and I don't know how that works. See? It's, it's working. I'm getting pretty tech savvy these days. Let's see if I got another joke here. Oh, yeah, I do have another one. Just trying to fill the time. Teacher stands up in class one day. And uh, he says, let me ask you, uh, anyone, is there anyone here that thinks they're stupid? Nobody stood up. He said, if you think you're stupid, stand up. Nobody stood up. And he said, I'm sure there's somebody that's stupid, and there's some student that's stupid in this class. At that point, a little Johnny little timid little boy, he stood to his feet. And the teacher said, oh, Johnny, so you think you're stupid then? He said, no, I just felt bad that you were the only one standing. <laughs> now, listen, I, 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 believe, now I, I believe that we ought to show respect to authority all the time. And, and listen, if you have a child that goes somewhere and they're being taught some things that aren't leveled with, you know, that don't level with the Word of God that are wrong, listen, they still need to, to be respectful and they need to submit to the authority of that person. But let me tell you, just because somebody holds a degree or just because somebody's called pastor or just because somebody's called professor or has a doctor in front of their name doesn't mean that everything they say is true. That's right. Listen, I, I want you to understand that that this issue is one of those kind of issues where sometimes we've been intimidated by PhDs and all kind of alphabetic letters in front and behind names, and we've somehow thought we've missed the boat as believers. We must change what we believe in order to be taken seriously. We need to stick and stay with the Word of God. That's what we need to do. Is it not going to work? Oh, we're ready. Wow, see? Let's go ahead. uh, Brother, can you hit that real quick? world's most advanced... Yeah, go ahead and run that back, brother. Start us fresh. Denial of evolution is unique in the United States. I mean, we are the world's most advanced... He always talked with a funny accent. But generally, the United okay. States is where most of the again, innovation please. still happens. Denial of evolution is unique to the United States. I mean, we are the world's most advanced technological... So, I mean, you could say Japan. But generally, the United States is where most of the innovation still happens... People still move to the United States, uh, and that's largely because of the intellectual capital we have, the, the general understanding of science. When you have a portion of the population that doesn't believe in that, it holds everybody back, really. Evolution is the fundamental idea in all of life science, in all of biology. It's like it's very much analogous to trying to do geology without believing in tectonic plates, you're just not going to get the right answer. Your whole world is just going to be a mystery instead of an exciting place. As my old professor Carl Sagan said, when you're in love, you want to tell the world. So once in a while I get people that really or that claim they don't believe in evolution. And my response generally is, why not? Really, why not? Your world just becomes fantastically complicated when you don't believe in evolution. I mean, here are these ancient dinosaur bones or fossils. Here is um, radioactivity. Here are distant stars that are just like the our star, but that are a different point in their life cycle. The idea of deep time of this of billions of years, 
explains so much of the world around us. If you try to ignore that, your your worldview just becomes crazy. It's just uh, untenable, self-inconsistent. And I say to the grown-ups, if you want to deny evolution and live in your in your uh, world that's completely inconsistent with everything we observe in the universe, that's fine. But don't make your kids do it, because we need them. We need scientifically literate voters and taxpayers for the future. We need people that can, uh, we need engineers that can build stuff, solve problems. These are, it's just really hard thing. It's, it's really a hard thing. You know, in another couple centuries, the, that worldview, I'm sure, will be it just won't exist. I mean, it's, it's, there's no evidence for it. So. Isn't, isn't, listen, that ought to be eye-opening to you. Do you? I mean, think about what our children are being taught. Think about what we're being sold by, quote, science. You heard what he said. There's no evidence of creation. You tell me there's evidence of evolution. I mean, I'm just saying we're so we're inconsistent. I'm trying to understand it. No, he makes a statement here at the end, a couple of them. One, he says, I say to the grown-ups, if you want to deny evolution and live in your world that's completely, that's completely inconsistent with the world we observe, that's fine. Oh, really? But don't make your kids do it because we need them. Oh, they want them too. We need scientifically literate voters Boy, that's gone a long way in the last 20 years. And taxpayers, that's working out well. Since we started preaching and teaching evolution as fact in our school system, what has happened to our economy? What's happened to our country? Are you kidding me? We need engineers that can build stuff and solve problems. Oh, that's right, those stupid Christians that believe in in creation, they're stupid. They can't accomplish anything. They're not smart. They're dumb. They're ignorant. That's exactly what he's saying. His last sentence predicts the demise of creation itself, creationism, or the belief of creation. He says in another couple centuries, I'm sure that that worldview won't even exist. Because, see, creation is the figment of someone's imagination, see? It's the desperate hope of the ignorant masses. To him, it's the perspective of misguided and mindless men and women. It's not the work of God. I mean, mankind, in his opinion, and science's opinion, and most educators' opinions today, and most politicians' minds today, the earth and mankind are just the fruit of a big bang. They're they're the process of evolution. They're the product of natural selection. They're not the work of God. Don't think for a minute we're not in a battle today. My my question is this. Listen, I I can't change what Bill Nye believes. I can't change what any... I, I really can't change what anyone believes. I can maybe present the Word of God. And that's really all the firepower I have is God's word. You take God's word away from me, I have nothing. But then again, they have nothing too. Oh, they've got a bunch of big words and they've got a bunch of big theories that they try to pass off as fact, but it's not really factual. There's all kind of holes as we've learned through the studies that were being done the first four weeks of our creation study that we understand that although they have answers, those answers have so many holes in them that even they admit that they're not foolproof. What position will you take concerning creation? I mean, what conclusion will you come to? Will you concede God as creator? Will you recognize His hand at work? Turn, if you would, to Psalm chapter 2. I'm going to close this out here. We're on the home stretch. Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2. Notice what the Bible says there, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read through verse 6. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? 
The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Boy, that sounds so much like Isaiah 45, 9. Woe unto him that striveth with his maker. See, rejecting the reality of God is a very dangerous prospect. To oppose his existence and authority over the universe and over our life is reckless, to say the least. The fact is, is that life does not end when we close our eyes in death. Because God is life. All things that create, all matter, all energy, all of it exists because of God. He exists and therefore there is life. And we were given or breathed into us the, the breath of life. No, when we close our eyes in death, that's not where it ends. See, there was life before we were ever born and there will be life after we die. The Bible tells us that we either spend eternity with God or without God. That's basically, that's the bottom line. See, with Him, we'll, we'll, if we're going to be with Him, it's in a place called heaven. In John 14, the Bible says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me and my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. But then again, we can spend eternity without God too. Turn, if you would, in Revelation chapter 20. We're going to read this passage and I'm going to make one basic, I'm going to make one simple thought, if you will, it'll be two sentences, but I'm going to make it, and I think it's going to summarize everything we just said in this last few minutes. Notice what it says in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead small and great stand before God and the books were opened and another book was opened which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. See, according to the passage, we can spend eternity without God. Or we can spend eternity with God. So here's how it works. If you live your life without God now, you will live your life without God forever. If you'll live your life with God today, you will live your life forever with Him tomorrow. See, the question is, will you invite God into your life? Will you allow Him to have authority over your life? Will you allow Him to sit and reign on the throne of your life? Will you receive and accept what His Son Jesus Christ did on Calvary 2,000 years as payment for your sin? Will you recognize that the God who created you also has a plan for you in this life and that you By that plan must receive and accept Him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saved from their sin, saved from the consequences of it. But but as many as received Him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God. The fact is, is that we must trust Him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You need saved. I need saved. Everybody in humanity needs saved from their sin. We're born into sin. We'll live in our sin. We'll die in our sin. And as long as we're in our sin, we are without God in this world. The Bible says. I'm going back. Don't you turn anywhere because I I wasn't going to have you turn it, but I've got to share this verse. And I'm done with verses and I'm going to close this. Ephesians 2. The Bible says this in the book of Ephesians. It says...
I've got to find it here. It says over in verse 11, Ephesians 2.11, Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcised by that which is called circumcision in the flesh, made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, watch this, having no hope and without God in the world. He goes on to say this, But now in Christ Jesus... Ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. What he's saying is, without the blood of Christ being applied to your life, and you have it applied when you accept and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you finally admit that He not only created all things, but that He made you personally with a purpose, and one of those purposes is to fellowship with Him, and you have a desire to draw nigh unto Christ and say, Lord, I know that I've been in rebellion against You. I know I've rejected You in my life. I want You in my life. I need You in my life. And I can't even ever hope to make heaven and to spend my eternity with You if I don't include You in my life today. Come into my life. Be my Savior, my Lord. He says, then the blood of Christ is applied. But he says, before that, you are without hope and without God in the world. If you live your life with God now, you'll live your life with God forever. But if you choose to live your life without God now, it means that you'll live your life without God forever. I want to encourage you today. If you've never settled your soul salvation, if you've never said, Lord, I need you in my life, not just to save me from sin, uh, not just to save me, I should say, from hell, not just to give me a get out of jail, a get out of hell free card. I'm talking about including, inviting him into your life. You need to settle that today. You need to let him in your life. Nobody gets saved by just saying a few simple words. You get saved by opening your heart's door and allowing Christ to come in. By including him, inviting him in. It's an invitation. He's knocking at the heart store. He wants you to open it up, won't you? Won't you allow him in your life? We talk about the heart, but it's really your life that he wants. Won't you let Christ into your life now? If you will, you'll be with him forever. But if you reject him today, he is creator, he is God, he is on the throne, and he will judge all mankind. And if you will reject him in your life now. You will be without him in eternity. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, that you would help us today. And, Lord, if there be any that have not settled their soul salvation.